is brought to you by NG Digital in association with Cafe Sobar. Check out all our podcasts at ngdigital.podbean.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash NG Digital and follow us on Twitter at NG Digital UK. Hello, that's right, we're back. It's NG Meets and it's season two. It's taken us a bit longer than we'd have liked to get this new season up and running, but uh, we are kicking it off with a cracking show for you here. This episode, our guest is Sandeep Mahal. Sandeep is director of Nottingham City of Literature. Nottingham, of course, is a UNESCO City of Literature um, designated city, and which is brilliant for the city and has helped put it on the literacy map even more than it already was. So it was great to sit down with Sandeep and talk about what Nottingham City of Literature is, what its aims are, its achievements, what it's looking to do and has done, uh, as well as talking about a whole host of other things related to that. And of course, you know, literature in general, poetry, writing, spoken word, and the aims of getting reading out to people that maybe um, aren't being... um, catered for enough particularly in an age when we're seeing less you know funding for that kind of thing you know libraries shutting down lack of resources and that so it was a fantastic yeah it's it's a longer episode than usual because it was just brilliant to sit down with Sandeep and talk about this and she's got so much passion for what she's doing and it really is uh, exciting and it's exciting times there so hopefully enjoy that show Uh, we've also released a bonus show uh, to kick off season two so it's like a two episode special that is a, a special about the dock and roll festival that's taking place next week in nottingham uh, mick underwood who you may remember as being a part of uh, ng digital back in our radio days did a lot of presenting for us he sat down with the organizers of dock and roll festival to find out more about that along with uh, i'm not from london's will robinson so that's a great chat so if you head over to the website ngdigital.podbean.com you can also check out that special episode. We've got more episodes coming up, which I'll tell you all about at the end of the show. But for now, sit back and enjoy NG Meets Sandeep Mahal. Sandy Mahal, who is director of uh, UNESCO City of Literature in Nottingham. Uh, thank you for joining me. It's a joy to be here. I love any opportunity to boast about Nottingham's status as a UNESCO City of Literature. You see, I mean, it is incredible. I mean, I'm sure I'm not wrong in saying I'm the only person that prior to the, uh, the sort of campaigning process, because we took about 18 months, I think it was. Yeah, it was three years ago now. Yeah, uh, I didn't know what UNESCO was, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one, but it's, I mean, like I say, it's an incredible achievement, and obviously learning more about it, there are there are only sort of, what, 28 That's right, cities yeah, yeah. in the entire world, and uh, and it's great to, to shine a spotlight on Nottingham's literature and 
um, which I think, and I've had this conversation with people before, and with Matt, who's a part of the team as well, that it's something that I think went under the radar heavily, Nottingham's role in literature until then, and it's something that this is covering. Absolutely. I mean, the UNESCO designation itself is an international award, a mark of quality and excellence. Um, and, and Nottingham got it because of its astonishing literary legacy. You know, we talk about the likes of Byron and D.H. Lawrence and Silito, but Nottingham also got it because of its very thriving live literature scene. Yeah. But we have a fantastic gra grassroots um, poetry scene. We have brilliant bookshops. Um, and we also got it because of our ambitions for the future to want to improve literacy in the city because Nottingham has one of the worst literacy rates in the country. Yeah. Um, and so UNESCO saw all of that. Um, they saw, they looked at our heritage, our achievements, but also our ambitions for the future. And they gave it to Nottingham. And it's been fantastic, actually. We had that celebratory moment. Um, and people often think, yes, yeah, a great award. Now let's just hang it on the wall and forget about it. But you can't with UNESCO. Yeah. Because the UNESCO designation actually places an obligation on cities to invest in culture and creativity and we've got it for our literary specialism but more broadly we're part of the UNESCO Creative Cities Network which is all about um, using creativity and culture to really transform the lives of people locally and also collaborating with other cities around the world. Yeah I saw um, obviously we've had Georgina on in the past, Georgina Wilder who is the, the, the uh, Nottingham Youth Poet Laureate and she went to um, somewhere in Europe. Yeah, she's to, been commissioned by Granada, City of Literature. Yeah, so she was in Granada for World Poetry Day. Um, and she performed there with other poets from around the world. And more recently, she was in Krakow for their Off Milosh Poetry Festival. Um, and that was amazing. It reminded me a lot of Nottingham's poetry scene uh, because a lot of the events were taking place in cafes and pubs. Yeah. There was a different kind of audience compared to the other Milosh Poetry Festival where there's more of a kind of serious academic audience, the off Milosh. I, I suppose it's a bit more like a French festival. You get a younger crowd, it's more lively. Um, and the response to Georgina's set was so great, really positive. You've got people from Poland talking about how much Georgina had inspired them. Because she, I think she has a really unique voice. Yeah. Um, and she's a great cultural ambassador for Nottingham. So when she talks about Nottingham, other people get a real insight to what the city's like. Um, yeah, I'm just really chuffed and dead proud. Dead, dead proud for her. I mean, it's great, as you say, and it's also great celebrating the whole um, umbrella is literacy. Absolutely. You know, not, it's not just about books. No. No, it's, it's the poetry in, and Nottingham. Um, sort of underground poetry scene and his spoken word scene. There's some brilliant stuff out there. Yeah, and people are doing it for themselves. I think that's what's so unique about Nottingham is that DIY yeah. culture. And um, particularly around poetry, you know, you've got open mic nights almost every night in the city. And uh, it's the young people that are really kind of taking ownership of it and making things happen. Um, and what we do as a city of literature is to really shine a spotlight and to shout loud to the world, this is what we're really good at. And we want to collaborate with other poets, with other writers yeah. across the world. So come and work with us. Um, and I think actually Nottingham is a great blueprint to other cities, particularly across Europe, when I think about what's happening politically, 
um, you know, we've seen like a fragmentation, increasing tension yeah. and uncertainty across Europe. And I think actually poetry and literature more generally can be a really good way of uniting communities, different communities, people from different backgrounds around something really good. Um, and I think Nottingham being a very young, very diverse city is a really good example as to how you go about that, how you bring about different communities together to yeah. create something good. Yeah. And uh, I know you've had you've had people over here as well from the different cities, other cities of literatures around the world, which is great. Yeah, it's always actually quite surprising when we get an email um, from people saying, "Oh, we've got a group of students coming from Milan," and then Matt will put together a tour um, and, and show them around the city, and that's always great actually to be able to welcome people from around the world and show them what makes Nottingham great. I think that's a good thing as well because obviously, um, we I love this city, but I live here, and so every I walk past this, the same things every day, and I'm, you know, I love places we've got, but to, to see that reaction in a, a fresh pair of eyes, somebody that's not used to Nottingham, not even necessarily used to the, the culture of this country, yeah. they come over and you can show them, you know, things like Wollaton, you know, the castle the lakes yeah. market creative and i think that's been the great benefit of being part of the unesco creative cities network is that it's given nottingham a greater profile and voice on the international stage so one of our other obligations being part of the network is that we've got to attend two meetings a year where all the other unesco cities get together uh, i went to my first meeting three years ago uh, and then my second one last year, and I took the leader of Nottingham City Council, Councillor John Collins, with me. Um, and he gave a presentation to a, de a delegation of around 400 people where he presented Nottingham's vision for building a literate city where every child is a reader and every child is a writer. Um, and he presented his vision for how we're going to be improving literacy across the city. And the response, again, was so positive. Um, and I found that we are the only city that talks about literacy yeah. and our commitment to improving literacy, which makes us a bit different, I think. Because I think everything begins with reading or writing. And yes. writing. You cannot function in life without being able to read. If you don't have that skill, you can't fill out forms, you know, you can't really participate in society, especially today when everything feels so much more connected because of internet because yeah, of digital and social media everything is yeah, there's no in a lot of areas of life now there is no talking to people yeah. there are no places to go even in um in unemployment and jobs seat searching it's nearly all has to be done online right. as you say and so there's even less you know if you, if you can't use those tools you really disconnect you from society yeah. And, and there is evidence that shows that, you know, if you struggle with reading and writing, then you are going to struggle in life. And, you know, there are all kinds of statistics when I look about look at the population of you know, people in prisons. They often struggle with reading yeah. and writing. So we know that actually if we can crack that at an early age, you'll be, you'll be preventing people from, you know, engaging in crime or violence. Uh, you can keep them off, you know, that sort of track and engage them in something more positive. Yes, and it's the, you know, and it opens so much, does it? Not only in, in just the wonder, because, yeah. you know, I, I don't think there's anything personally that 
draws me quite the same way a book does. As much as I love all forms of entertainment, I think because you're so personal, you're immersed into it, but also you're allowed to interpret what you read yeah. in your own head. So when you watch it, and which is one of the reasons I think why movies and books struggle, because every person that reads, let's say, um, Lord of the Rings, for example, as great as those movies are, every person that's read Lord of the Rings has a different vision of what the Shire or Middle Earth uh, yeah. look like, and yeah. you never, and so, and that, but that's one of the reasons it's great because you're right, you, you you go in, don't you're almost mm. in that world. That's right, and that's why I think reading reading books is it fires up the imagination like nothing else. Um, I've had a very deep relationship with reading since very young age, and that's something that it wasn't cultivated by my parents because my parents were illiterate. They couldn't read or write. Um, so I, I grew up in Derby. My yeah. parents were immigrants. They arrived from India in the 50s. Um, and so my relationship with reading and getting into books sort of was cultivated by libraries, actually, and by my teachers at school. And the one place I could go to on my own growing up in Derby was to Petrie Library because my parents, even though they couldn't read or write, they recognised the library as a safe place that's yeah. open to everyone. It has no commercial agenda and it's full of books, you know, and yeah. they recognise that books and learning and knowledge is a really positive thing. So whilst they had kind of huge aspirations and they were always encouraging me to study hard and to read books, you know, um, that's, what I think, what really helped me to kind of immerse myself in books. And I think, um, and obviously libraries there, yeah. a very... Yeah, and that's another reason subject. why um, Nottingham got the UNESCO designation is because there's a big commitment in, um, here in Nottingham to invest in libraries. And given what's happening nationally, yeah. where you've got libraries closing down or you've got libraries being handed over to volunteers to run, in Nottingham, it's a completely different picture. You've got libraries opening, you've got more investment going in libraries. There's talk of a new central library. Don't know where it's going to be yeah. at the moment. Um, there's all kinds of options, including redeveloping um, the central library and the existing site, but there's also other options as to it could relocate somewhere else. And I think that's a great opportunity to think about, well, what does a modern 21st century look like yeah. today? Um, and given that we're a UNESCO City of Literature, I want it to be one of the best libraries in the world. I want it to be the kind of library where people from all over the world come to Nottingham because we have one of the best libraries. That would be yeah. We, um, I don't know if you so I'm near to Beeston Library, yeah. which is just okay. had a big redevelopment. Yeah. And we actually often record mm. podcasts there because they've got a whole new setup. But it is so, um, and it's great to see because, as you say, you, when you see in every day in the news uh, libraries being closed or downgraded, or just, I think there was uh, I saw a discussion about um, one of the libraries in Derby changing to voluntary yeah. staff. And to see what they've done at Beeston, and I know other libraries across uh, across Nottinghamshire. Mm -hmm. It's it's great to see, and and that library is, is so much more vibrant and welcoming yeah, now. It transformed yeah, completely. It, transformed from my day going to the library where I was terrified of the library. Yeah, yeah. she was really scary. Um, but now they are such welcoming places. Um, it's not just about books now. It's a lot more about information and helping to skill people as well. So libraries run all kinds of 
classes and courses mm. and they're putting on events as well so i know in inspire culture libraries inspire libraries in the county um they've welcomed theater groups yes. to come in and put on plays um and it's been fantastic to see that because i think it just opens up the library as a space where people can come together have conversations and engage in other types of cultural activity as well as reading yeah you know. uh, one of my favorite um events that i used to love going to um when with my kids was rhyme time uh, and it was all about getting young kids to sing, you know, getting a book and everyone reading aloud and singing along. And it would just, you know, the library was just so vibrant. And there would be other people in the library, but no one ever complained because that's just what libraries do now. Yeah, I think, and it's, I think, I think the first thing you notice, talk about to the redevelopment we've had at Beast, is how much, it's so much more open, welcoming space, the, even the lighting. It really did feel unloved mm. before. Well, now it, it feels like a community, like it's a community hub. They have uh, there's, there's a sort of computer game programming stuff run by um, the video game arcade, which thankfully still going to be going. The arcade's going, yeah. but these events are still going to run. Uh, even you know they run job workshops. They've had, as you say, the, the, the poetry events during the festival. Uh, live music events. Yeah, and I think it's so important to to continue championing and fighting for libraries because those spaces are so rare now in communities, having that kind of yeah. space where people could come together. Um, so I'm really proud to be working in a city that is investing in libraries and supporting libraries. Um, and we've got an exciting few years ahead of us, I think, yeah. I think people, as well, I don't think people realise just that, even now, because like, obviously, you know, my kids, they're all into community and gaming and all that but they still love the library just going in there and seeing all those and I think that that is can that just seeing all those books and the even the colours of the books and the way they're laid out that can just sort of instill in them like so the imagination that they're not necessarily getting that's right I think libraries are unique because actually it gives kids that freedom of choice they can go in and choose whatever mm. they like. They're not being given books by yeah. a teacher to read. It's like go on and explore. And you have no idea what you might discover. Of course, you've got librarians and other volunteers in the libraries that might help them choose a book. Um, but it all starts from, you know, what are their interests? Um, and, of course, we had the phenomenon that was Harry Potter yeah. um, that did a huge amount for getting more kids into reading. Um, and then it's okay. What other books are like Harry Potter that you, you know, they might be interested in reading? So it all, I think, starts from interests and passions. And my kids, I've got two boys. Um, they love gaming as well, but they also love reading. Yes, my. Um, and I think that actually there's a really strong link between gaming and 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 writing for a video game. And we worked on a project recently with the libraries here in the National Video Game Arcade called Story Smash. Yes, yeah. um, and that was about engaging young people in writing and creating their own video games, because actually video games, they all have a narrative arc. Oh, they yeah, all begin with a story. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, you know, they're like movies yeah. and they have these massive studios behind them. 
Um, and so we invited expert games writers to Nottingham who led these workshops with young people. I think around a thousand young people took part in this yeah. over a year. Um, and they took part in all the workshops and it was wonderful to see their creations at the end of it. Um, and a lot of it was non-linear storytelling. They went into all kinds of different arcs and narratives. And I just think, wow, this has come out of young people's creativity. Um, and it's been, yeah, I think it's been really great just to be able to make that happen in a city like Nottingham, because no one, I don't think anyone else has ever yeah. done that before. I think um, you touched on what was a really good point earlier then with regards to getting children reading, which was the choice. Mm. And it's a similar conversation I had with uh, Georgina with regards to poetry, um, and especially with poetry, is that people can, kids especially, can turn against reading and poetry because of the stuff that's given to them at school. So, and we talk, especially in poetry, the, po the poems I remember from school were boring. And they put me off poetry. And it's only in recent years, probably since the Poetry Festival, City of Literature, and since myself doing more of the, that I've realised just how open, and it's the same with books. Sometimes my, my, my oldest, especially, he's an avid reader. He will he'll come home and he'll be really fed up with a book that he's got from school. But then there'll be, I mean, he's, we've been quite sort of flexible in what we've allowed him to read. So he's read things like Hunger Games, yeah. Maze Runner, loves all that kind of stuff. Because sometimes he'll, he's, they do reading now and they have to write book reports and things on it. The, the difference you see with reading a book that they've been given to read as opposed to a yeah. book where they've had the choice. And I don't think people should ever feel guilty. If they can't get into it and they're not enjoying it, dump it. I've always done that. Do that I've always dumped books that I'm not enjoying, you know, and it's a bit disappointing, but yeah. look, life's too short. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, I think the choice thing is really interesting, particularly around poetry, because I think what's really revolutionised poetry in terms of its form and its kind of accessibility if you like it's engagement with people is the internet and social yeah. media in particular you've seen the rise of instagram poets you know there's yeah. a whole new generation of poets that have come to our attention because of social media because of instagram because of twitter and facebook um there's an, a canadian poet called rupee call who's just started writing her poetry on instagram and became really pop up popular over a million followers and then she went into print you know, so I think that's really interesting how traditionally, particularly with, you know, writers and poets, they would want to get their their writing published in print, whereas now it's sort of being flipped. Yeah. They're publishing it online, they, they're, they're attracting an audience, and then it can go into print. But sometimes it doesn't matter if it doesn't, because actually it's about getting it in front of audiences. Yeah. Um, and it's been really interesting to see the kinds of poets that have come through social media, so very diverse from different cultural backgrounds, which is something you weren't getting through the traditional yeah. publishing, I don't think. That was one of, the, one of the key things that came up when we were talking, was it, to, to me, growing up, and to a lot of poetry always felt like the posh person's thing, or middle, maybe middle class, or class didn't feel like it was for us. It was, you know, and partly because of the stuff you're given, but as you say, because the the opportunities weren't there, and now, you, as you say, you're seeing yeah. people from all communities. And but I know there's been a bit of backlash, and we we discussed uh, yeah. with Georgina some of the About, uh, article that was yeah. in one of the poetry uh, 
there's still so much snobbery yeah. around um, spoken words, artists, performance poetry, and I get so mad about that because, you know, I think Georgina's done such a brilliant job in talking about different forms of poetry engagement. So she's been um, working in schools and libraries. In, she's been in residence, engaging young people to use poetry as a form of creative expression to talk about things that matter to them. Yeah. to talk about their experiences of the city, to talk about issues that, you know, they want to talk about. And I think that's what's really exciting about poetry today, because people, particularly young people, are talking about the state of the world, the things that concern them, and they're getting really active. You know, there's a whole new form of activism that's yeah. come out through social media, and it's being used in poetry. I think Nottingham being this city that has... A tradition of being um, politically active, of being outspoken, of being, you know, rebellious. <laughs> um, I think actually Nottingham is a, would be a great place where we engage more young people in poetry through activism. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, and I mean, there's, like I say, it's got a history of the sort of the rebellious authors, and I mean, we used there's a obviously there's a whole. Um, there used to be a big. I don't know if still there used to be a big. Banner up, didn't they? With, yeah, uh, the rebel writers. Yeah, the rebel writers, and uh, I, just, and, I mean, I love going. They have, they have occasionally have events on here. Uh, poet called Miggy Angel mm. runs and things like that. And like, he's quite um, his poetry is quite activist, yeah. you know. He, and I think that's because, as you say, there's people now with something to say that have got a place to say okay. it, as opposed to being you just stay over there and Absolutely. let us do it. And I think about like the atrocity in Manchester when um, uh, during Ari Ariana Grande's concert, the bomb went off and it was absolutely tragic. And then like a few days later, what brought that city together was poetry. Yeah. Um, so outside, I think it was a town hall, um, there was a day where they were going to pay tribute and this guy reads a poem. And suddenly it was just it was just so moving and the fact that people came together to see this and it really stayed with people as well uh, was just extraordinary to watch. And that's what poetry can really do. Yeah. It, can, it can move people. We turn to poetry um, at those kinds of times, but we can also, you know, turn to poetry when um, for joy, too. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what life events can do, bringing kind of readers and writers and poets together for a great night out. And I think, and it's, it's. I think it's just getting people over that, of that mindset, isn't it, of what, of what poetry can be? Because as I say, so many people onto it thinking poetry is a very specific thing. But it's, I mean, poetry. You go out to an open mic night, which is probably the best way. If you, if you are someone that's maybe been turned away from the idea of poetry, your best option is to go to an open mic night. Yeah. Because the variety you'll see. I mean, there was a. It was here. There's a great event um, on International Women's Day that was uh, downstairs. Yeah, I think yeah, and I mean, I think that my wife came to it, mm. and uh, and I think I think Georgina yeah. performed. Alice, I've mentioned, performed, and but they're all so different. And this is it. You don't, and that and that's a great way to experience poetry. And, yeah, and, and I, know, I think that's important as well. The, the the venues where poetry is performed. Um, yeah, we've got like. Our cultural venues like the Playhouse, the Theatre Hall, Concert Hall, and Broadway, um, and and it's fantastic that we've got that because actually that was one of the most remarkable things for me coming to Nottingham, 
having been away from the Midlands for, for like 10 years, I thought, wow, I'm really just staggered by the number of really good cultural venues in the city and for a compact city as well. But also it's about where poetry is performed in those smaller venues. And I think that's really important, actually, because we should be having poetry everywhere and making it more accessible and taking poetry where communities are. So having events in cafes as well as galleries yeah. um, and libraries, I think is really important because that's one way you can be able to reach out um, to those audience who perhaps wouldn't normally come into town. It also offers a brilliant opportunity on the other side of the point for someone that wants to have yeah. a go at it yeah. and maybe feels the open mics especially and I know uh, Georgina talked about how important they were to her yeah. early on because of the people there were they were so helpful and welcoming and yeah yeah because yeah. obviously it's, it's never no matter what you're doing whether it's music uh, but poetry any spoken word and, and anything like that kind of thing though is very generally very personal which adds an extra you know there's no band with you on there there's no mm. nothing to hide behind is yeah. you're putting your yourself, you're putting yourself or... out there yeah it's a, it's a lot of exposure and when i look at the young people that i've seen perform in the city you know i just i just think wow it's really remarkable that they have that sort of confidence to be able to go up there and do that but also they're they're supported by a fantastic community of poets and spoken art word artists in the city as well i, I get a real feel for that, that everybody is very kind of collegiate, everybody is rooting for each other. Uh, there are lots of different poetry groups in the city, you know, um, so there's um, there's the gig that Leanne runs, Crosswords at Milk Cross, there's Poetry is Dead Good that takes yeah. place at the Angel Pub, you know, there's all kinds of groups and events that take place across the city and it's just so nice to see everyone supporting each other. Yeah. It's great, and I recommend anyone that's not Anyone that maybe thinks poetry is not for them to check one of them. Try it out. You'll have a great night out. <laughs> You'll come away going, probably even going, I didn't even realise that was poetry. Poetry, and we obviously, like you say, you talked about thriving. You know, not Nottingham obviously is a, a brilliant literacy, literacy past, some amazing, you know, um, you know Byron, Lawrence, people like that. Um, but also, it's, it's got a thriving current uh, scene. You know, we've got some brilliant little publishers tucked away across the city, and obviously, we've got an, an award winning little independent bookshop in five leaves which is also a publisher um which is somewhat booked the trend didn't it it opened up i think it was when it opened up maybe three four years ago now it was the first independent bookstore to open in a major city in like a decade yeah. which yeah. was a brave decision, particularly when you were we were surrounded reading mm. at the time in the news of how you know bookshops would add paper you know printed books were dead it was all kindle and yeah there was online. there was a period where um because of the rising sales of kindle and ebooks all these headlines around the novel the book is dead you know and of course it's it was nonsense just complete and utter nonsense and what we've seen actually is a sort of revival in print 
So print sales have increased, ebooks have sort of plateaued. And I think people do both things. They want yeah. both things, you know. Um, and so I, I think actually the fact that we've got an award-winning independent bookshop in Nottingham is fantastic. Um, and it was, you know, obviously very brave of Ross Bradshaw to open that when he did. And he's had extraordinary success with it um, and garnered a lot of support for the bookshop now nationally as well. He's really put five leaves on the map. And, and you know, I like to think the UNESCO designation is a way of kind of increasing ambition in the city so that people want to do more and to really capitalize on the fact that the we're, we're UNESCO uh, yeah. uh, city of literature. Um, and that's certainly been my experience, actually, given all the people I've met. Uh, and I've met with so many publishers and booksellers and librarians and writers and poets who want to do more, who have brilliant ideas. And the role of city of literature is to help facilitate and enable some of those ideas and to make them happen. Uh, by making all kinds of connections, by helping them to raise money to make them happen, but crucially to really communicate and shout loud and shine a spotlight on the work that people are doing, um, because it's something to celebrate. Um, yeah. But equally, we know there's a lot more we can do. Um, and it is tough, I think, in the current climate because of, of cuts um, across the arts. Um, but I think Nottingham has a unique culture uh, and I think we've got a great opportunity to not only increase the visibility of the UNESCO brand across the city so that more people know about us, but actually, crucially, to increase public engagement with literature, with the arts, and particularly with those audiences who are least engaged, as you said, those that think that perhaps poetry or literature isn't for them. Well, let's make it yeah. for them. Let's make it for them and try and put something on that really speaks to those communities. Um, so I think about communities in Clifton and Bulwell who are perhaps least engaged. What more can we do, you know, as individuals, as organisations, to make reading very cool um, and to try and get them more involved in shaping what events they want to see in their communities? Yeah. yeah. I think interesting we talked about a little bit about the, the sort of snobbery in poetry that there's been mm. and i think there's a, there is there can be an element of that in books uh, in it's not seen as cool is it really also in the in in the genres of books i think and i've seen this you know i've seen sort of sneering attitudes towards sort oh, of fantasy and yeah. sci-fi or i mean and you know things like um the, the Fifty Shades. I mean, there, oh, are, yeah. there are other there are, there are discussions you can have about the content of that book, which is for a whole different podcast. But this sort of there is definitely a there, there is this attitude. But my view is all reading is great reading. We should never be snobbish about these things. And actually, we're really inclusive when we talk about literature we're inclusive of all the different forms of literature you know we talk a lot about comics uh, and in fact one of the projects um, i'm developing at the moment um, is over in eastwood with schools there about getting the kids creating their own comic books um, inspired by dh lawrence's own life story and his own literature so about making it a bit more accessible and a bit more fun and getting kids to create their own comics that they will then go on yeah promote and publish and get it to a wider community. Uh, we talk about playwriting, you know, and the role of play, playwrights. 
Uh, we talk about screenwriting as well, so which is unusual, I think, when people think about literature, because often they think about books and then they think about the different genres of yeah. literary fiction and sci-fi and fantasy. But actually, we're just very inclusive of all forms of literature, and I think that's really important to be able to say, all reading, whatever you read, is great as long as you're engaging in yeah. reading. You know, um, let's let's make it a deeper experience. Let's make it fun. You know, let's make it inspiring. Let's make it challenging. Let's make it a, a provocation. Um, about a fortnight ago, uh, every year we host a lecture, the UNESCO lecture with the University of Nottingham, and we have it on the theme of. Um, one of UNESCO's global goals. And so last year, Sarah Churchwell talked about UNESCO's mission, which is all about building peace across the world and literature's role in building peace. And two weeks ago, the Turkish novelist, uh, Alif Shafak, she gave her lecture on gender equality and the role literature plays um, in kind of sort of humanizing people um, and how we need literature to humanize people, particularly in today's climate. Um, and yeah, that was really powerful uh, because I think it just provoked and challenged people to think about what literature can do um, to people's lives yeah. and how it can really shape people's lives as well. I mean, if you've been a reader since a young age, you'll remember books like the Royal Doll books or books by Enid Blyton that kind of shaped you as a child. Yeah. But if you're coming to it later, you know, think about the books that might engage an adult who struggles with reading or writing. and. Um, libraries do a lot of work in this area. They run um, a, a challenge called the Six Book Challenge. And it's aimed at adults with low literacy. And the challenge is to read six books over like a period of four to six months. Um, and the books they choose have been specially written okay. and published with the, those adults in mind. And they're called Quick Reads. And they're like novellas. Um, and it's been a, been a fantastic way of sort of taking the stigma away as well. Yeah. You know, and, and, and actually running that scheme, the six book challenge, not only in libraries, but taking it into the workplace. So you get employers engaging in reading. And one of my dreams would be to get more employers in Nottingham setting up book clubs in the workplace, you know, as a way of getting a lot of their employees reading books, talking about books, and just making it making it a very normal thing to do. I think that's interesting, obviously, because um, there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of talk about increasing. Um, literacy to girls in school and at a young age, because as you say, there's nothing in this not real, you know, issues there. But there's not a, not as much focus, obviously, on adults. Mm. And as you say, there's this, there's this stigma because very I uh, I had a family member who had an accident when they're younger and couldn't read, and so we like basically relied on other people to fill mm. forms out and things like that. And I don't remember there being. I mean, this is quite old, but. I don't remember there being the support there, and then also they, yeah. it's it's getting people over that step, isn't it? Because nobody wants to be known as the grown up that can't read, because yeah. like I say, this it's it's getting through that yeah. stigma of that's right, and people hide it as well. Yeah, they hide it, and I think it's about overcoming that and saying actually there's support out there. Start with libraries. You know, if you've, if you've got an employer who is engaged and wants to um, kind of educate their workforce through a learning program, you know, then that six book challenge scheme is available. But there are others as well. Um, but the first place, I think, is to always start with the library because they can help. They've got the resources, they've got the support and the skill. And what's more, you'll then 
meet other people, other adults who are in that situation, have been on their journey, and then you're part of a supportive network or a group, um, and then you'll go on that reading journey, you know? But this is where the short-sightedness comes in at higher levels, mm. because as you just said, uh, the first place to go yeah. is a library, but yeah. these days, like I say, not, we're quite lucky in Nottingham, yeah. but if you go out beyond Nottingham, you, yeah. you might not have a library, mm-hmm. and you know, if you, for example, are, you know, there's generally, obviously, um, literacy levels are tied into socio-economic mm-hmm. situations, yeah. which means yeah. you, you probably, you may well have less access to getting around, right. yeah. um, less income to, to be able to travel, probably in cheaper areas of, of cities, which means that if there's only a library in the city centre, mm-hmm. for example, it's difficult for you to get to. That's right. Um, and, and in fact, the evidence shows that um, low literacy is less linked to language or cultural barriers, and it's more linked to poverty. Yeah. Uh, and their socio-economic um, issues. So what we are doing in Nottingham is actually targeting a lot of the literacy um, initiatives in those areas um, because what we're finding is, you know, there are families, um, you've got kids who come from, from, from backgrounds where there's been generations of people who've never worked, yeah. you know, or who've never uh, read or, or, or written uh, anything. So. They are targeting a lot of the literacy initiatives in those areas and, and looking at the kind of whole system, actually. So if you were to go to somewhere like Clifton and you've got a family that are not engaged in reading or writing and there's been generations like that, what is going to engage them? Yeah. Where are the places that they go to in that community um, where you can actually have a positive experience with books? And we're starting young, so we're very much starting at the early years, but we're also we're also thinking about those kids who are at secondary school, getting ready to leave, and we want to make sure they leave with the skills to be able to find a job or to go on to college um, or university. Uh, and a lot of kids are leaving school without those skills. Yeah. It's the employers that are saying, actually, we've got a real problem here because we've got kids coming in who lack those basic literacy skills. And so I think you need that sort of intervention at a local level and you need everyone to work together. Um, you know, from like libraries um, to people who are working with parents, youth services, that they still exist, you know. So thinking about where do those families go to in the community? Yes, they'll go to the kind of local shops, um, they go to the pub, you know, how can we make it so that books are in those places, that they're visible, but also they're having conversations about those books Yeah. As well. Something that you used to see, I don't, I haven't seen for a while, but you used to see it around when I the, um, the mobile library. Uh, I started my career on a mobile yeah. library. I love mobile libraries. And yeah, I think you're right. I think we've seen a huge decline in mobile libraries. I don't know if the county still have one. Um, but I imagine for a city like Nottingham, because it's so compact, you probably wouldn't need a mobile library here, but you probably would in the yeah. county because in rural areas, you sort of need a mobile library because people can't get out or the bus yeah. services arts are great and actually when I worked on mobile libraries we went to places um, like sheltered accommodation and nursing homes care homes and, and go to people who just couldn't get out really that were housebound and we delivered books to them in their homes it was one of my favorite jobs I yeah. did because 
uh, you would develop relationships with those people. You'd see them every month. You'd get to know what they love to read. Uh, and it was always the conversation you had with them that, that brought a, a special joy. And often they would say that their books are a lifeline. You know, that monthly visit was such a lifeline because it helped them to stay connected yeah. um, to, to others. So, yeah, it was one of my favourite jobs and I love working yeah. on the mobile library. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember one being around occasionally a, a few years ago, probably a little bit longer than that, so when my oldest was really little, but um, yeah, I, don't, I don't think I've seen it in years. No, and it's, no. it's a shame because, mm. as you say, it's also because it, it used to go and like park on the sort of the grounds of the local field, yeah. which means there's those you've got those kids that maybe their parents just don't take them to the library, yeah. or you know, because there's a stigma. There can be a stigma at home, isn't yeah. it? You know, every, you know, or why what you're reading on. Yeah, to that I think if there isn't a culture of reading at home, well, why would you read? You know, and it's got to it's got to come from somewhere. So having a physical presence of a, a library or a mobile library that comes every month. Kids get excited about yeah. that, you know, and it's that, I, I, I remember my experience, we'd go to, we'd park sometimes in the school playground, um, and then you'd have these kids coming out, because that's the other thing, there's not as many school libraries as there used to be mm. now, but we used to park up in the school playground, and these kids used to come running, running up the steps, and they used to come in, and though it would be chaotic, it was brilliant because actually they'd be rummaging around trying to find the book for them, often fighting over the books they'd want, you know. And that would often be their only experience of engaging with books and feeling books and reading books was through the mobile library um, because their parents didn't read or they're just forced yeah. to sort of reading culture at home or in their communities. So I think for me, what's really important is culture is about creating a culture of reading in communities and that's about having books visible having a library having that kind of support and the conversations and making it really yeah. normal and having champions i think it's really important to have you know people like georgina who's really putting poetry on the map and making it really accessible is having some reading champions in the community who are really passionate and really want to get more people reading i mean obviously i'm big big believer of how great books are and I'm really passionate about reading but we need more people like that um, in the communities yeah. to really make a difference and actually for those people who who they trust you know I can't go into somewhere like Clifton and Bulwell because people are like well who does she think she is yeah. you know you need people on the ground who are already part of those communities um, that are trusted people the people listen to who can become those champions yeah also, again, you've, you've got to be things that will appeal to people. So it's no good just going in there and chucking down a, cla a piece of plastic. Yeah, no, 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 no good no, to go in there and, and chucking down, you know, the Odyssey or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or, you know, even, you know, sons and lovers or anything like that. You, you've got to be aware that, you know, what, do they, what interests them in their day-to-day -day life that might interest them on the page. Which is yeah. obviously why things like uh, Friday night, uh, Friday night, night, night and, yeah, um, because it was a proper working facility. Which is what I was getting. That's why I was getting it. But, but because that you know that was, yeah. it was about the guy that went that went to work at the local factory, you know the running factory through the week, and went out, and that's you know 
that's that's what people and you know people would relate to that yes they could and actually that reminds me of a project that we're working on uh, with penguin random house which is the biggest publishing uh, company in the world Um, so there's been this huge debate uh, in publishing that publishing isn't diverse enough the books on our nation's bookshelves don't represent the communities we're in and there's been a massive push for more um writers from working class backgrounds uh, from kind of low income backgrounds ethnic backgrounds um and so penguin are coming to nottingham in september to deliver a free workshop and it's in partnership with ntu and with writing east midlands Uh, And it's very much targeted at those people who come from those backgrounds, have aspirations to write, um, and they'll meet editors, they'll meet agents, and some of them will be lucky enough to go on a year-long mentoring program, and they'll get all kinds of editorial support. And I think that's really important that publishers do leave London and come out to the regions and meet writers um, and to find new talent from these places, because actually Nottingham is full of talent. Yeah. But there's not as many opportunities. And this is what it's about. It's about bringing a major publisher to Nottingham um, to create opportunities for our writers. And I think we need those stories. We need a diversity of stories written by people from different backgrounds. Um, and there's a real push for, for more working class stories, I think, because they're just not represented yeah. on our bookshelves at the moment. I think there was a time, perhaps, when Alan Silito was around in the 50s and 60s, when those stories were coming through. Um, but more recently, more recent years, I think there's just been a push for, you know, the more stories from, from I guess, from the States uh, and, and actually finding writers who are part of that literary establishment, if you like, in London and in Cambridge yeah. and in Oxford. And what we're saying is actually come and meet our voices here because we've got a real diversity of voices. And what's more, we've got really talented writers who've got something to say. I think, uh, and I saw, I saw that because it was at Rough Trade, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they did this event at Rough Trade where they were promoting the Right Now initiative um, and they absolutely loved it. They loved it because we were able to commission two artists um, to create this mural. They created four of them that were all inspired by words. Uh, and I think they're displayed up at the Central Library at the moment. Um, and we had performances from a range of poets, including Georgina, there was Tyrone, um, and also we had uh, music as well. Excellent. And like you say, and that's about getting in and getting people yep. writing from different... Because I, I'm a, I'm a big reader myself, and uh, I started doing last year, at the beginning of last year, I started keeping a list, of what, where it's actually something that I'd seen mapped. Turpin pose. Um, he didn't actually do his in the end. <laughs> he didn't have a chance, but I thought oh, that's a good idea. So I kept it. And I'm still. I've done it. Started. Done it again this year. And I love everything I read because I, so I could have a look what I've read. Um, and what I did notice, although I was just picking out stuff initially, it was, it was far less diversity than I was. There was far fewer female mm. authors in there. I mean, I, I kind of. I read a lot. Of, I do read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi, which is, I think, it's only recently that sort of diverse and female writers are coming yeah. through in that. And I, I read a lot of science stuff, mm-hmm. which unfortunately historically has been yeah. struggled with a, a lack of diversity. But even to say, so it was even looking back, I was surprised when I sat there and I thought, oh, I'm going to count yeah. how many I've read, you know, male, female, and yeah, and. Um, 
and I think that that highlighted to me as well that the lack the lack of diversity. Yeah. And it's I mean you only have to look at the bookshelves if you go in a bookshop and it's you know, the big mm. the crime models and that and yeah, you know, yeah. Like, hence why J.K. Rowling mm. left only put her initials when she submitted her yes her manuscript. Yeah, you do find that, and I think that's why it's so great that a major publishing house like Penguin are absolutely committed to funding yeah. and mentoring uh, and supporting writers and illustrators from underrepresented um, backgrounds yeah. and communities. Um, so yeah, it'd be really interested to see who comes out from Nottingham who gets onto their mentoring program. Um, because they'll have a, it's an extraordinary opportunity, um, and it's not guaranteed that they'll get a publishing deal at the end of it, but at least they'll have a, had that exposure and that support yeah. and that experience um, with with a publisher. I think the other thing as well that we're always promoting um, are prizes, book prizes. So you have the Women's Prize for Fiction, which is an annual uh, prize. It's now in its twenty third year, and it's all books by. Um, women, women writers, and that re that really is a celebration of the diversity uh, of, of different voices. And I was thinking about what I've been reading recently. I've read all of the shortlisted books of the Women's Prize. Just finished a book. Um, it's a debut novel, actually called "The Man Who Didn't Call" by Rosie Walsh, and that's part romance, part mystery. Um, I really didn't know what to expect when I read that book because I. This feels like a very chick litty type novel, and actually, it was completely different uh, and so brilliant. Um, and it reminds me a little of One Day by David Nichols, because um, that's the love story uh, with a twist. And there's lots of twists in this book that just kept me utterly gripped to the end. Um, so it's very cleverly written. Yeah. Um, and it's a book I'm just going to be raving about to everybody. Yeah. I think. And there is one of the problems has always been, hasn't it, that it's, um, there's been a kind of attitude that, oh, um, you know, men write crime and sci-fi, women write romance and, you know... It's changed so much. Well, actually, I don't think that's ever been the case. No, but it's, I think even though it's changing, if you go in a supermarket and look at what's on, so rather than the bookshop and look at what's on the shelves, that's generally how it's positioned out. Yeah. You know, even, I mean, I know that away from it bad but it used to be you know it'd be books for him books for her yes and like especially that. children's books so yeah. if you go into a bookshop and the pink books would be the for the girls you know and you could see those what they were because they had glitter on the, the covers and i think we just have to get away from that harry potter has probably done the harry potter college series probably did a massive amount for that because it was um although my kids don't like it but it was massive with everybody. It wasn't only boys reading it. Yeah, you know? it was everyone and adults too. And you know, mm -hmm. now these are, you know, these are all people now that you know that the sort of original people that got into mm -hmm. the Harry Potter thing are all now passing that down onto yeah. in the same way that I, you know, I did mm -hmm. or I've done with Roald Dahl because that was what I was obsessed with when I was. Me too. Fantastic Me Mr. Too. Fox. Yeah. I read that book. Every year, <laughs> and there were TV adaptations of those books as well. Mm. Um, and I guess just the production values of Harry Potter were just on another scale completely. Yeah, um, but I thought they were well done. You know, whenever Harry Potter comes on the television, we still watch it, uh, even though we've watched it a million times before, we still love <laughs> watching them. 
Um, and there's more of that now. I think there's a, more of a trend to adapt books, and not just for film, but as um, a returning television series as well. Yeah, I mean, the whole scope of TV is changing that sense. Game of Thrones is yeah, a really good example In, in a way that there's no way that kind of thing could ever have come onto television, mm -hmm. not, you know, for budgetary reasons and for wasn't the technology around it. So, yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones is, you know, these 10 films a season. Yeah. An incredible budget at the scale of mm. any major blockbuster. And you see more and more of it. I mean, we're seeing now um, Good Omens, the Neil Gaiman book, yes. is about to come to TV. And we've just had American Gods. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, it often surprises me how many things I, I watch now and I hadn't realised it's based and graphic novels as yeah. well has become probably uh, the, the Marvel Universe has played a part but also yeah. the, walk, the success of The Walking Dead yeah. as many we now get things like Breacher, Lucifer mm. things like that mm. um, yeah and I, I often wonder whether the issue with reading and getting time to read is another I think issue and barrier is that books is, are, are, books are competing with other entertainments like Netflix yeah. and like those box sets and film um, because I just think we are sort of in this golden age of television where so much good drama is yeah. coming out so I think books is competing with that too yeah and especially when they're adapting yeah. <laughs> because if you you know people, the most people that watch Game of Thrones are you, you've got a section that with a book you know for those of us that have read the books and yeah. then saw the series but most people that saw the series probably then won't, particularly now, but because the series has passed the books, mm. and we just don't know what's going to happen there, is it's it like, well, why should I bother reading a book when I've just watched it on telly? It's not, you know, it's not going to be as great as seeing a dragon on my screen. Mm. I mean, I often have the opposite thing. I think actually picturing that dragon in my head was far more impressive yes. than anything. This yes, time. yes. Yeah. No, I am always intrigued. I always like watching the adaptation of a book I've read um, and it's you're right it's never it's never quite as good as what you imagined it would be um, with the exception of one or two I think um, Emma Donoghue's Room uh, the, the film version of that I thought was so beautifully done beautifully shot great cast great acting great performances um, and I went back to the book afterwards I yeah. read it again I loved the film so much and I loved The Help um, which was a book written by Catherine Stockett a few years ago now um, and that was made into a film as yeah. well and I thought that was brilliantly done and my kids loved that film even though they haven't read the book they loved the film. I think there's an element you and I think it, you have to treat them as separate mm. you have to accept they're not going to be the same and, and some people get really really angry about adaptations and you know it's easy to annoy it. bad film is a bad film but sometimes people get annoyed or it's actually a good film but it's not how they think it should be done and the simple fact is that what works on a page mm. isn't always going to work no. on a screen and vice versa if you tried to put everything that was in Game of Thrones for example into mm. the show they'd probably still be on season two yeah. and the same I mean there was a lot of um Lord of the Rings with them cutting out the music, the songs and things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they, they can completely ruin it. Yes. An adaptation, yeah. but you are, you know, it's, 
more about keeping the spirit, isn't yeah. it? You started off sort of working in libraries, and yeah. uh, when I was looking at you, I think it was on the, the City of Literature website, and they mentioned that you were you worked in Sandwell, I did. which they said was thought to be the inspiration for Mordor. It, yes, that's right. That's uh, well, yes, because I guess it was the whole of the Black Country, and the reason I suppose it was called the Black Country was because of all the smoke yeah. and manufacturing and served as inspiration uh, for, for Mordor and actually when I worked there in, in Sandwell it was still, there was no black smoke but it was still pretty grim um, and that's because I worked in communities with um, very low aspiration, very few cultural opportunities, massive, massive deprivation and working in Sandwell as a librarian trying to build a culture of reading and writing was really hard. Yeah really tough but actually we we did it through mobile libraries we did it by taking books out into communities and i think this is this is an approach that really works when you go go into communities on a regular basis you build relationships you build trust and you and then you get your champions who become reading advocates for you um so sandwell libraries um for me it I sort of accidentally and passionately fell in love with the work of libraries um, when I was in Sandwell and then I went on a bit of a whirlwind journey um, because they offered me the opportunity to go to university which I hadn't done before. Um, so this was in the time when councils had training budgets and they said how do you feel about going to university and studying librarianship? And I jumped at the chance, so I went to university part-time whilst having babies. It's not the way to do it after raising <laughs> a family. It was tough, um, but I did it. Uh, and so, yeah, I was really, it was one of those really proud moments that um, I was able to go to university and get a degree in librarianship. And then um, I got promoted um, into a variety of kind of senior management roles, still within libraries. Um, and... And it was astonishing actually for me when I look back because you know I grew up in Derby um, and my parents couldn't read or write they were on disability benefits you know I received uh, allowances for my school meals and for my uniform so you know I lived in I guess sort of relative poverty we didn't have a lot of money but there was incredible warmth and yeah. there was a great community spirit so I never felt like I never, it never felt like I was poor or I, I didn't go without. I just kind of accepted that's what life is like. So to have gone, I guess in some ways, I felt like I've transcended class coming from a very kind of working class community to have then gone to university um, and be in a professional role affecting and change and influencing change in libraries and becoming a massive champion for them. Um, has has been, you know, I just kind of think it's a bit astonishing, really, when I think about where I've come from. Um, and then from Sandwell, I worked in Sandwell Libraries for 10 years, 
Um, and then I worked for a national literacy charity called the Reading Agency, um, who set up the Summer Reading Challenge, which is the big reading programme for kids that takes place in libraries every summer. Right. So the challenge is to read six books, and you get a sticker for every book that you read. And once you've read six books, and you've, you've collected all the stickers, you get a certificate and a medal. And it's, and it's the biggest um, promotion of children's uh, reading in the country. Around 800,000 children take part every summer um, across, across libraries in the UK. So I was working at this charity and my role there was to work with publishers and to get them touring more of their writers in library venues across the country. And it was something they weren't doing at the time, and this is back in 2007. Um, what they were doing, what they were taking their writers and authors into bookshops and they were taking them to literature festivals, but libraries weren't part of that mix. So I then persuaded publishers to make libraries part of that mix um, because I was able to prove that actually book borrowers, they also buy books too, they do both things. And what's more, libraries have a reach to an audience that's very engaged, very diverse, um, and libraries run all kinds of book clubs as well. Yeah. And, and so publishers were convinced and they started touring some of their biggest names from Neil Gaiman to Zadie Smith to launching first-time novelists as well. Um, and we took, to, took them to all kinds of places. In fact, I remember one year working with Worksop Library. Um, and we, we programmed um, three women writers and we turned it into like a girls' night in. That's what we call the event, a girls' night in, with Jojo Moyes, who's now massive, and she was fairly unknown yeah. then and two other uh, novelists and we it was mostly like women who came to the event and there were mothers and daughters and they had a really great conversation and it was wonderful to take them to that library on an evening and it completely transformed the library space and it was just so much fun it was a really good night out so i did that for about seven years putting publishers and librarians together to, to produce all kinds of events um, and then i went off and did like a claw fellowship it's called the claw fellowship and it's like an the an mba for the arts yeah. so it was a year-long leadership development program it was very intensive and it meant spending five months away from the reading agency uh, charity uh, and spending five months at the bbc uh, on a project called the space and the space was like a it's, it's like a channel of sorts but a very experimental channel where we were commissioning artists to create new types of art using digital media and technology. Yeah. Wildly different to anything I'd done before. <laughs> so it wasn't in any way kind of literature related or literacy related, but it was all about storytelling and storytelling in the online space. So everything we commissioned, it would be published on the internet on different platforms. And it, again, that was a whirlwind, crazy experience. Um, some of the artists we commissioned were mind-blowing. Their artworks were amazing. Um, and I did that for almost two years. And then I saw this job advertised. Yeah. Um, and for me, the opportunity to run the UNESCO City of Literature was just like a dream role because it combined all my passions yeah. for reading. And it feels almost like a homecoming because uh, I remember Nottingham in my youth and coming here as a teenager uh, from Derby. So, yeah, I was, I was just thrilled when, when I got the job. So my I guess 
my route to getting here hasn't been straightforward if you like there's been lots of twists and turns um but yeah really happy really really thrilled it's a dream job i love it absolutely love it and that's that's good though because i think you talked about the digital elements and things you did at space mm -hmm. the bbc and that's something then that you can bring because that's becoming more and more as you mentioned earlier with things like instagram poetry but it's becoming more and more relevant in literacy yeah in, in you using the, the digital tools to engage people and especially in a modern world where you know a lot, a lot of kids can use a tablet before they can read a book so if you can give them yeah. combine that in a way yeah. um whether it's whether it's online stories or whether it's enhancing that's right i mean i think there was the um Dawn of the Undead. Dawn of the Unread. Unread. Sorry, that was an online graphic novel. Yeah, that James did. Yeah. And, but that, that did, I think that incorporated um, elements of technology and media right. into it. it was re it? It's yeah. really innovative, a thing of its time, and it won the Guardian Award for Excellence in Teaching. Um, and it only existed online. And I think what was really interesting then that James Walker, w working with Tony Simpson of Spokesman Books, they put it into print. Yes, yeah. And then copies went into every school in Nottingham uh, with a resource pack, like an education pack, so that teachers could use that um, graphic novel as a resource to try and build confidence in young people's reading and writing and to make it really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's all kinds of opportunities to use technology and those digital tools to make reading cool, to engage kids in texts and in, in different forms and with images as well, and to make it a kind of visual storytelling experience. So we're seeing a huge increase in visual storytelling. I mean, it's something that I know Ian Simons at the National Video Game Arcade has talked about how actually in the future we're going to see a lot more visual storytelling through you know youtube yeah. and other uh platforms and so what does that mean for literature and books you know i think that's that's something that at higher levels isn't realized or acknowledged i think this this you've got to if you want to engage kids or people from different areas you've got to go to them and give them what they want mm. not try and which is what they do to a degree with the curriculum mm. is to try and drag mm. them to what you think they yeah. should do and if say so by taking by saying well this is what kids are into if we just go turn that laptop off and, and read this mm. that's not going to work because you turn it and also kids don't like to be told mm. if you go hey look at this and, and now you can read there's a follow-on yeah. you know um book or comic or or whatever and then they, and and it grow, and let it grow and sometimes what can make all the difference is taking writers and artists into schools yeah because they know how to engage with kids they're very well experienced particularly children's authors and they'll go into schools and they'll really animate you know their story they'll bring it alive and that's quite often to get kids engaged because they'll get really yeah. excited or fired up to want to read their book or to create their own story. Um, so I think yeah, it's really important to get more, more writers and artists into schools as well. Yeah, they did. Um, one of my kids, they had an author in on uh, World Book Day. Oh, yeah. And everyone yeah. was yeah. You know, obviously buzzing about it. She said they, did they dress up as well? 
they they was a bit older, but my youngest, he did. He went to the Gruffalo. Oh, I, I, I love the Gruffalo. Reading the Gruffalo, you have to do all the voices, haven't you? Reading oh, yeah. one of those books where you've got to do the voices. Yeah, I, the, tr- the trouble with that is, you see, is that they made a... One Christmas they made a TV they did. thing, so then I, you have to try and do the Gruffalo, but in your head you're trying to make yourself sound like Robbie Coulter because he was the Gruffalo in the, yeah. in the show. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I got to a point I didn't even need the ball, yeah. you know, because yeah. you know. But yeah, I mean, we we Julia Donaldson stuff has been yeah. all my Fantastic. kids have, have loved that, and then that grows into you know Roald well, Dahl, and then I mean, same eldest now. It's all um, you know, zombies and hunger mm. games. And, uh, yeah, no, and my boys went through a zombie phase. Like, they're big, massive fans of The Walking Dead. Um, and now, it's interesting. So my eldest has sort of transitioned to more adult books, and he's been reading Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which is I a really that. dark no, book. <laughs> it's very bleak. It's very bleak. Um, whereas my youngest, he is... He's sort of reading a bit more crime and mystery now. So he loved Charlie Higson's, you know, um, there was the, his zombie series. Oh, yes. yeah. The Fear, The Dead. Um, so he read all of those. He read Robert Muchamore's Cherub series. And now he's like more into crime and kind of who's yeah. who done it. Uh, which I have to say, I like, I like the psychological thriller. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I've got my, old, my oldest, he read um, Anne Frank. Yeah, I like. I mean, he's he's very into science and things, which is good because one of the things you pointed on earlier is I love that he's got to the age where he'll read some of the things that I read or have read because then we can then sit and. Yeah. You know, Who are your favourite authors? My favourite authors, I, I, I kind of struggle with this because I'm I read. I mean, I love George Martin's mm. books. And uh, a lot of Robin Harbour is another fantasy author. Um, but I, say I read a lot of I read a lot of non-fiction sites, so you know, Steve North and Brian Cox and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm re- I mean, I'm reading um, um, Origins of Species at the moment, wow. which I don't yeah. understand any of what I've read so far. <laughs> but it's but yeah, um, I mean, growing up, it was always it was Roald Dahl growing up, yeah. and you know, <laughs> one of my favourite yeah. things about is being able to read mm. and to my kids and mm. I went my mum used to um, read a lot of crime novels and she used to buy a lot of true crime books. She used to read we used to read a lot of James Patterson. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. He's still churning them out. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of I went and say my mum when I lived at home and my mum she read a lot of that and I passed them on to me and I was, the thing I liked about them was they were they were really fast paced. Yeah. But, like you said, I kind of got to a point where I just felt like I was reading the same thing again and again. And then, you know, I was kind of, it was only sort of, so I was kind of late almost to the sci-fi fantasy world. And that's why I read Lord of the, I mean, I love the toll, you know, I love the Lord of the Rings series and things like that. And then, but then I've, I've kind of been, as I've started looking at what I read, I've been trying to mix it and trying to read stuff that I didn't read. Um, years ago, so like I read um, gosh, I read uh, um, the Inferno, the first part of that, mm. and things like that, and some of the classic stuff. Mm. So, yeah. um, but yeah, for me, the is difficult because yeah. I, 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 lo- I love reading a lot of contemporary uh, stuff. So, 
Recently, I read Catelyn Moran's How to Be Famous. Oh, I read... How to Build a Girl. Uh, yeah, I read yeah. That, that. Is it how to, how to Be a Girl or How to Be a Woman? Oh, How to Be a Woman was her first Yeah, book, which is the autobiography. Yeah. I read that last year. I've got How to Build a Girl, Girl which is the one that's being made into a film. That's being made into a film. But it's, it's on that. I've got... And How to Be Famous has just come out. And, right, it's, okay. and it's it's not exactly the sequel to How to Build a Girl. Because I don't think you have to read How to Build a Girl right. to read How to Be... But it... You know, it, you should still read it because it's brilliant. And how to how to be famous is set during Britpop in the nineties, and it's clearly based on Catelyn's life because it's about it's about Dolly who leaves uh, Wolverhampton for London at the age of like seventeen, starts writing for a music magazine, and then suddenly everyone that she's been hanging out with becomes famous because Britpop explodes. So I love it for that because I remember Britpop. It's a soundtrack to my youth. Um, and it's also very, very funny, but it's also got a very serious message at the heart of it, which is a sort of reflection of what's happened with the whole Me Too movement, um, because Dolly had this very kind of bad sexual experience with a villain, the villain of, of, of the book, um, and suddenly there's all this stuff around sexual shaming, and I remember talking to Kathleen Moran about this at the Playhouse when she came to Nottingham to do her event, and I said, so did you write this book like after the whole Harvey Weinstein scandal broke? She says, no, she was writing it way before yeah. that happened. And then suddenly it broke, that whole news story. And she's like, oh, my God, this is really weird. So it's a very timely book. It's very timely. And I think everyone should add it to their summer reading list uh, because it's Kathleen Moran. She's very funny. But also um, you just go on this amazing emotional journey with Dolly um, and there's a brilliant soundtrack that accompanies the book. Um, so I just put that on a loop while I was yeah. reading it. And so, yeah, loved it, loved it. Oh, so I've got, I read um, I Feel Woman last year, which yeah. I thought was really good for. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've listened to um, a few of, of, the, of her um, sort of interviews on podcasts and things yeah. like that. Recently, she was on James O'Brien. Oh, um, right. series, yeah. which I'm a big fan of. And she's, as he said when he sort of introduced, he said it, he was he wasn't sure where he would go with this podcast because usually his podcasts were about trying to get to know yeah. the person. But she's so open in everything she does, like you know everything's on the page that you kind of like. Well, what is the left to yeah. ask? Because it is so yeah, honest, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it is so, absolutely totally honest and very funny with it as well. We should have um we should have a book club podcast. Yes, I've, I've, I've posted, I did actually put something up about that and got, didn't get much. You know, we've just started at Left Line, a book club. So there's yeah. about four of us and it's all the girls because we tried to get the guys and they're like, mm, no. So we've um, we read our first book and we got together at The Angel to discuss it. We've just, we've just selected our second book. So we're going to read that and we're going to get together in August um, to discuss it. But yeah, I'd love a, a book club podcast, like a monthly thing. Well, it would be great. We, everyone reads the same book and then we come and discuss it. Yeah, I'll make a note of that. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing I got when I did posit doing that, doing it a while ago, was kind of, oh, well, what the book, what kind of book is it going to be? I think that's the biggest. Yeah. Well, we took it in turn. So what we did, we put all our names in a hat and then we pulled it out and whoever's name got called out, they got they get to choose the book and we all commit to reading it. Um. And then we take it in turns to choose. Yeah. Who gets to have a say. We've all got to read it, and then we've got to share 
our views, whether we loved it or hated it, what we found interesting about it. And we do it over a glass of wine, which is always fun. Um, so yeah, I love book clubs. I, I, I talk about it, so I talk about it with friends and family, but I've, I'm, I'm somewhat harsh, struggling that, because I'm, there's a little bit of me that thinks, what if I, everyone thinks, what are you talking about? Did you read a different book? Yeah. You know, that, you know wait, that's, that's, yeah. that's what's so great about book clubs, is that everyone's got an opinion, yeah. and sometimes it's, everyone has different opinions, but that's fine. And I think that's fine. It makes it all the whole better for a discussion. It, it opens you up to reading stuff you wouldn't have read. Yeah. That's, that's something I've been really trying to. Yeah. One of the reasons for keeping a list is to try and look at it and go, well, you're only reading, you know, you're only reading fantasy or non-fiction. And that's what a book club can do. Yeah. It can it can make you pick up a book that you wouldn't normally read, you know, an author that you wouldn't normally read. And I think I mean, with, with the uh, the penguin random house thing you talked about as well. Yeah. Um. So I think you know you talked a bit about sort of how fractured feel at the moment yeah. but books when you if you've got books by people from different backgrounds that gives you a chance to read and understand different backgrounds in a way that you might be fearful of approaching yeah. out loud and asking that question for fear of, of making yourself look silly or ignorant mm. even if you're not you know which everyone's ignorant of certain yeah. things to do, but it isn't you know if you can read a book that's been written by somebody that's Follows your refugee story, mm. things like that. That can give you that experience yeah. in a way that you might be afraid to ask, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And and if, but if they're not around, if they're not given the opportunity to tell that story, Absolutely. you know, yeah. to a degree, the internet offers. Mm. Internet offers and it's up and down into because it offers a platform for everyone, but it also offers a way to only actually see what you want to see. The yeah. Um, I know it's kind of speeding along here, and I wanted to talk, obviously, about some of the things that UNESCO are working on. Yes. Um, I know you had a, I think you had your first sort of public um, meeting, meeting at the weekend. Yeah. We had a terrific response. Um, it was great, actually, given that we were sort of competing with the weather uh, and the footage yes. that was coming on, but we we were we reassured the audience that actually we would be done by. Um, podcast too and we were so yeah really good response brilliant turnout um it was a good opportunity for us to be able to share uh what we've achieved over the last two years um and to just talk a little bit about city of literature's role we're a really small team yeah. three uh based over in Snedden market with left lion yeah, um and and you know our job is really about enabling and facilitating all kinds of new ideas and conversations and making them happen. We want to communicate what's so brilliant about Nottingham. We promote lots of events on our website. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was a really good opportunity to, to hear from people as well that came along on the day um, about anything they wanted to talk about. So some of them had some new ideas. Um, some just wanted to share the work that they were doing. Um, and yeah, it was a good opportunity to get people together. Um, and, I, and I think also for me, it's really important to be inclusive and so that fe people feel like they can be part of the UNESCO City of Literature yeah. because this is a designation that I own. I've just been put in charge of kind of managing it really on behalf of the city. 
UNESCO designation belongs to everyone and the brand is there for everybody to use. You know, so um, it was important to get that message out there as well. Um, and also, it was a good opportunity for me to share some of our really exciting future plans. So I've mentioned the Penguin Right yeah. Now event coming. Um, we're also going to be co-hosting the um, annual Cities of Literature Network meeting. We're calling it Notwich yeah. <laughs> um, because we're co-hosting it with Norwich in May next year. And it's the first time um, that international forum is going to be taking place in England. Um, so we're dead chuffed about that. Uh, and it's going to take place over a week. So there'll be obviously the conference bit of the, the week, but we'll also be programming some cultural events. So if anybody wants to get involved in Notwitch, um, they should just get in touch with me through the website. Um, and again, a great opportunity, I think, for everybody to show what makes Nottingham great. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to be shining a massive PR spotlight on Nottingham at a time when, I mean, who knows, we're hosting it a month after Britain leaves the EU. So I think it's important that we're hosting this, this meeting, yeah. sending a unified message that Nottingham will continue to strengthen its international relationships. But look, Brexit might not happen. Let's hope it doesn't happen um, because it's in such a mess at the moment. Um, so we've got that happening. And then the other program I'm developing currently is a Young City of Literature Ambassadors program as a way of engaging every secondary school in the city. Um, so there's been a real interest and real appetite from schools who want to engage more with City of Literature, but not quite knowing what they yeah. can do. Um, and obviously we promote a lot of the initiatives like Dawn of the Unread and the other literacy initiatives. But what the schools wanted was a way of kind of introducing some ambassadors uh, within, within the school environment. And so we're going to create these roles, Young City of Literature Ambassadors, whose role it will be to promote reading and writing in schools, but to also help co-design and co-produce some really big events and big reading campaigns to get more people reading across the city. Um, so that will probably commence from the beginning of next year. Uh, we're just working up at the moment and raising money to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and then we will, of course, launch uh, a new search for Nottingham's Young Poet Laureate for when Georgina's term comes to an end uh, in March next year. Um, so yes, I'm sure there are many budding poets out there uh, or experienced poets um, that will want to apply, want to get involved. So look out for that. And I think one of the things, and I say this a lot, whenever I talk to anybody within the sort of creative community, um, one of the things that really great for, with Nottingham and its creative is because we have two huge universities, two extremely good yeah. universities, we have every year thousands of young um ambitious exciting people mm. come in to the city like a fresh crop of talent almost yeah. which means you get you know you get new poets new writers new musicians new artists that you just all the time there's no it doesn't stop yeah. so that one that's it's great for the and it, it it's great for the community. It's always great to have fresh ideas, fresh people. I mean, one of the things you see, let's say, in the music is great is because you get all these young, you get these student 
just come in and these yeah. bands develop they grow into the community and then as they sort of grow and disappear you then get these little offshoots mm. of two people from this band and this band yeah. so, then, so you get these and you get these new hubs come together and it happens every year mm. and it, it's, it's great for the city because it, yeah. Nottingham always feels like it's moving yeah moving 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 never yeah. stops seems to stand still yeah I mean I just think you're right the two universities having two outstanding universities in the city just you know it's it's something to be really proud of um in that it makes the city very vibrant and yeah. because we have a really strong cultural offer students want to come to Nottingham they want to come here to live to study uh and to create um and it's great that there are so many different venues and spaces where they can go and do that and a really supportive atmosphere and I think a lot of that happens in the centre and for me it's about how can we reach out to those perhaps who are not in university not engaged yeah. and that's about going into those communities yeah. I mean, um, and try and find a way of bringing them together I think you know when I think about Brexit um, and, and I look at how Nottingham voted very narrowly by 2,000 yeah. votes to leave the EU. Um, you, you start talking to people about why they voted the way they did, and you see this divide between young people um, who want to be part of the international community and those who actually feel left behind because of austerity, like they've been forgotten about. Yeah. Um, and I think there's more that we can do to bring those communities to, together, to bring greater integration actually between our international students who make a big part of the student population and those that actually are from Nottingham decide to stay and study in Nottingham and try and bring them closer together as well. I think there's so much more we can do through art and through literature yeah. to do that. I think you've got, um, because obviously, I, so I, I live out in Chilwell and I've always lived that end, which means so I'm quite close to Beaster, mm. which obviously one is right on the doorstep of Nottingham University, but also um, has really embraced turning itself into this little creative hub. You know, obviously yeah, Matt is part of your yeah. thing, has played a large, large role in that. I've worked with Matt on different things in the past. He's got the Beastonian magazine. Yeah. Obviously, there was a Beaston poetry yeah. event, there's Beaston Film Festival, mm. and things like that. And that's great to see, but I've often, I've often thought well, that something like that needs taken, and in being in Arnold or yeah. Clifton or somewhere else like that, because um, it, it's it's such a good blueprint for what you can do if you get a community together. Mm -hmm. Say, and there was a couple of weeks ago there was a street art festival mm -hmm. in Beeston, um, and it shows, like, say, I mean, obviously, it has that advantage of being mm -hmm. on the doorstep. Not very far out of the city, you know. This I, I grew up in Stableford, and that's you know doesn't really have any of that in that same mm. same way. And it's a, it is about um, you do see, and you you see a different, so you see a different, as you say, you know, um, beast and um, very much a sort of a rather remain area, mm. and, and mm. you know when you start, the more you say the generally often the more you sort of get out to the outskirts the more it, it became yeah. Yeah. um the turn as it was yeah. um but yes yeah, and i think I, I do think that areas like i do get overlooked yeah miss that. yeah so it's about it's about getting out of there it's difficult um having dabbled in sort of music events in the past it is very 
Um, difficult to take the risk to take anything out of the seats, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Particularly when you're, if you're taking it on, you know, if that relies on you, yes. on, on your yeah. shoulders, um, because obviously you you are narrowing. Mm. Mm. It's a lot more difficult. Nottingham has such in the city centre has such not only an amazing. And footfall and amount of people, but an amazing amount of people yeah. promoting everything yeah. and talking about everything that you don't often. Yeah, there's a lot more, I guess, like connectivity yeah. in the city centre, isn't there? Because all the networks here, the venues are here, and so much is going on in the city. And then once you take it out, you're right, it's a risk. But I think we should try and experiment more and try yeah. and take those risks and see what happens. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to wrap us up shortly it's, it's been brilliant to chat to you and it's, it's been fantastic um, i really really enjoyed it so i've i've followed the city literature um since well since the nomination of shows and i know matt well we spoke to matt we spoke to georgina all the people that have been involved jared and people yeah like there's that, a though. wide range um, of people involved loads of organizations loads of individuals yeah. the, the thing is we cannot do anything on our own our mantra is all about working in partnership and um yeah that's what we do we spend a lot of our time collaborating and connecting and having conversations brilliant and i think it, i think it's great to it i say um there's some you know nothing's what i've drew in history of, of literature but it's also a really vibrant current mm. you know and uh we, you know, so we've mentioned five leaves you, you know you've got angry robot got, publisher yeah, yeah. um five leaves obviously is also Publisher, I mean, uh, you know, publisher from Bruin, sort of. You, know, you talked about activism earlier, and Five Leaves is really is an activist. Yeah. You know, bookshop put some great events on. You know, um, a friend of mine had uh, a book about Nottingham mining history published by them. Mm, um, Harry Patterson. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then, but then, as you say, we got you've got the post things like you know the dawn of the unread, which yeah. was just an incredible mm. idea. And, you know, the, the blend of graphic novels at a time. I mean, we've got five leaves, uh, yeah. sorry, page, page 45, five. an amazing yeah. independent, yeah. Um, you know, comic book store, which is just, not only is it got great yeah. comics, but it's just it's wonderful to look at. Yeah. But it's, it's, we've got a written, that's it, it's not just about Nottingham's writing history, and, and Park City of Literature obviously is about Nottingham's writing future. Yeah. Um, yes, and, and, I, and that's where we are absolutely committed to finding, nurturing, supporting a new generation of writing talent for the page, for the stage and screen. Um, and that's where the idea of the Young Poet Laureate came from, yeah. actually. Uh, it's about how can we, what are the opportunities we can create? Because there's, there's, Nottingham is full of talent and we need to be creating opportunities that allow them to develop their craft and their careers. Um, and I think the Poet Laureateship in particular has been a great platform for Georgina to really elevate her profile and to elevate her career. She's got all kinds of commissions off the back of it. So I'm really keen to develop more of those opportunities uh, and to do it in partnership with others as well. Yeah. And I think the university has a really big role to play here in terms of their offer, their creative writing offer for aspiring writers and making sure that writers feel like this is a good place to stay, um, yes. to be able to write, to be able to develop their careers. Because um, quite often what happens is, and it happens in, in other cities as well, poets and writers, they'll, they'll stay and then they'll leave for London. Um, and it's just getting more and more 
and affordable really yeah. for people to do that and we want people to stay here to retain them here and to be able to create the platforms the spaces the opportunities that allow them to really fly because that's what it's about yeah. really you want you want that talent to fly excellent yeah brilliant thank you brilliant thank you very much thank Thank you there to Sandeep Mahal for taking time out to chat to us. I really enjoyed that chat and hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to it. Now, if you want to find out more about Nottingham City Literature, you can check out their website, NottinghamCityOfLiterature.com or find them on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Nottingham City of Literature. And you can follow Sandeep on Twitter um, with at ReadWithSandy. That's S-A-N-D-Y. So they gave plenty of ways to keep track on what's going on there. Right, I'm going to try and wrap this up quickly because that was a long episode. But just to let you know that in the next show, we'll be speaking to Tom Brumpton, director of the upcoming movie short film, The Guiding Light. Uh, we talked to Tom about the idea behind the film, which has been described as La La Land, directed by David Cronenberg. The inspiration behind it, the idea, what he's aiming to get with it, uh, the team behind it uh, and the work that's going into it as well as the ongoing crowdfunding campaign towards that film uh, and there's a lot of chat about film in general which was fantastic uh, conversation we recorded at Sobar this past week i say a quick thanks to Sobar for uh, partnering up with us there and thanks to Jason Loftus for being behind that Jason of course one of the founding members of NG Digital back in the day and he's back on board, and he'll be bringing you his first episode of the series. He sat down to speak to Ben, owner of Angel Microbrewery, formerly the old Angel, uh, and previously owner of the Alley Calf. So a great chat there coming up. That's in a couple of weeks. And as I've already said, you can check out Mick Underwood's chat with uh, Will Robinson and the folks behind uh, the uh, Dock and Roll Festival, which is taking place next week, right now at ngdigital.podbean.com. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. NG Meets is brought to you by NG Digital in association with Cafe Sobar. Check out all our podcasts at ngdigital.podbean.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ngdigital and follow us on Twitter at ngdigitaluk. Digital UK.